I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat. People look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they mate picked me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> you have a whiskey while we- Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Mom. Cheers. Welcome back to United States of America. And uh, in keeping with our promise that the guests each fortnight would be from completely different industries, um, you know, we've done, we've done entertainment, uh, we've done the whiskey industry, we thought we'd mix things up a little bit. So our, our guest today is, is the CEO of an immersive tech company. So we'll be talking virtual and augmented reality. Um, so welcome, Ben Smith, to Thank the United you. States of America. Thank you. Well, a, a pleasure to be here. I'm following some big names as well, so uh, I better step up to the mark, I think. Uh, you absolutely should. So um, we, we're just going to dive straight into this. So um, immersive tech, mm. what's it all about? It's a big question. <laughs> uh, virtual augmented reality probably words that people have heard a lot about and maybe don't know necessarily a huge amount about what they mean. In simple terms, virtual reality is um, a way of viewing content through either a headset or in a immersive domes, maybe, uh, igloos, uh, the content that takes you to another place. So if you're in the middle of Los Angeles uh, in a wonderful whiskey shop but you want to visit a distillery in Isla in Scotland, then virtual reality can make that possible through an amazing piece of 360 content. Augmented reality is about adding layers onto the real world. So if you're in a room doing a podcast and you're not sure who you're sitting opposite, then augmented reality might give you a little readout next to my head that said Ben Smith and, and a little bio about me. Um, so it might change the way we... We go around the world in years to come, where we shop, the way we um, find our way to places through airports and things like that. So um, it, it's the technology of the future, really. So I know you're about to ask a question because I'm just going to talk again. Please, Our don't. regulars will know that I always uh, interrupt Chris. Um, so there's lots of very clever things you can do in the future, but one thing you can do in the present is drink a whiskey. So I think let's pour one. So... Um, Chris, do you want to tell us what we're drinking today? Sure, yeah, absolutely. We're drinking a, a Glen Murray Speyside non-age statement whiskey. Uh, so it's a very light, honeyed, vanilla kind of flavoured whiskey. Absolutely. And um, should go well for a uh, Wednesday afternoon. There we go again. Cheers. 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 Nice Welcome. Yeah, thank you. So can you tell us about some of the projects you've done in the past with... Yeah. With the VR? Well, my, my background, like yours, is in sports. So um, I, I worked in the sports media for a long time. And so early on in our life as a company, we, we worked a lot in sport with everyone from the LA Galaxy here, here in California to 
the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, we did the Open Golf Championship, Wimbledon Tennis. I have, it, it, it was an obvious place for us to go, you know. Sports fans all around the world want to be kind of taken to where the real event is happening. And so to be able to help that happen a little bit using the technology was, was an easy way in for us. Um, but since then, we've done stuff with Samsung and Tough Mudder. We've done um, projects for big medical companies teaching surgeons how to um, use the latest techniques. It's a, and we've done a lot for hotels and airlines as well. So it's kind of lots of different uses. And a lot of companies now have, have experimented with it and try to work out how to use it you know, in, in, in the next five years, what it, what it will do to their business. So could you be more specific on the, the NFL yeah. um, projects that you've done? What exactly does it mean to to the consumer? How do they, how does it alter their experience? Yeah, so Jacksonville Jaguars um, are owned by um, Shai Khan, who also owns Fulham Football Club in London. And he is trying to buy Wembley um, at the moment as well. And so for him, the Jacksonville Jaguars may one day end up in London, some people would say, and they are trying to build a fan base in London. So to be able to give fans in London a sense of what it's like to be around the stadium on game day in Florida um, was kind of what they wanted to do. They thought it would help build loyalty among the fans, um, kind of a greater understanding of what it what it's all about to be a Jaguars fan. So we shot... Uh, on the opening day of last season's NFL season at, at, uh, at the stadium um, in 360 degrees. So we were in the locker rooms, we were in the huddle, we were on the sideline of the game. We were in their amazing pools that overlook the, the stadium. So they have people in little swimming pools watching watching the match as it happens. And um, so when people in London put the headset on, they were able to look all around them and feel like they were there and getting a better idea of what it was like to be a right. fan. And what was the reaction from, from people? Well, it was great. We, we didn't know what what it was going to be like um, because it was so new still for people. So the NFL street party happens in London every year in October. They close Regent Street, one of the main shopping streets of London, down, and they put all sorts of things in there. You can throw a, a, a pass like a quarterback. You can kick a field goal. And initially we were told, look, go to all these things with the headset, send your team there and see if people want to do it while they line up to wait their turn. Um, but it started to rain. We sent the guys into a big inflatable Jaguar head that you, you could walk through. They set up there and then within 20 minutes we had lines of people. Mm-hmm. And after four hours we'd shown 4,500 people the content. Um, just because they were curious about what it was. So that really shows that there was an interest, a kind of excitement about it. And, um, you know, it was kind of amazing to see how that took off. Okay, and no rugby teams yet? Not really. I think think the the England rugby team um, have experimented with it a little bit. And there's an interest there kind of help with training. Now, rugby is such a dynamic, broken game that it's it's difficult to... um, no, necessarily kind of in the same way you do with American football that every play is going to start in the same way and um, yes there are scrums and lineups and things but it, it's more difficult I think to structure a training program for a fly half or a, a scrum half um, to follow but that's an area that will be really interesting to see in years to come where the sport can benefit from that would have been a great thing 
you could have created. It's a shame this technology wasn't around when you were growing up in rugby. You could create this technology where sort of Scottish schoolboys could put on this virtual reality headset and see what it's like to be 14 nil down to Italy in a home game in the Six <laughs> Nations, for example. I think that would have been a really good experience. Help them decide if they want to. Or 21 nil, actually, Dad. Oh, is that right? Sorry, I forgot how bad that game was. Um, no, it's. It's, it's an the incredible result, was okay, though, isn't it? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if Italy's first ever we win uh, in the Six Nations, yeah. it's fine. Then yes, it was. Yeah, we try and mention it so at least every fortnight on, yeah, on the podcast. Thank you but, for that. Dan. No, of course. But um, like, obviously, that, the whole point of this sort of the virtual reality is that it, it, it can help create these new experiences. Um, so obviously, sport is an area um, where there's obvious opportunities. Yep. Where else? does your company this is the point actually in the podcast where you know how we like to be transparent and we told you that our first <laughs> um, ever sponsor was Love Scotch and then we immediately revealed that that's the company that Chris actually owns this is probably worth me revealing at this point that I do know a little bit more about Laduma than, than maybe your average American drinker of Scotch because um, I also work for the company I'm president of the company so let me ask the question again more honestly and should transparently I you, should I ask you well not yet I'm relatively <laughs> new there but um Ben, what other areas does our company uh, do work in beyond sport? Well, um, travel and tourism is an obvious one. Um, you know, the, the ability for the, the person who is spending money on a, a vacation to um, stand on the beach, you know, see what their room looks like, um, you know, get a real sense of the place is, is an obvious one. If that can help people with, uh, with that buying process feel more confident that the place they're really going to spend buy a brand on is is every bit as good as they've been told it is, um, then that, that's certainly something that, that is interesting and certainly somewhere we're kind of already exploring. Um, health and wellness, massive area. Again, obviously a big growth area generally, but medical companies are very much onto this, not only for training, but for um, selling their own devices and products to, to patients, to doctors. So... We did a film with a, a medical company that were using a special heart valve and we showed an old guy in Ohio who loved cutting his grass and his life had changed because he wasn't able to do it anymore. And this device gave him this quality of life back uh, and uh, not only do we show kind of his recovery but also showed the, the surgery itself. And so that allowed that company to go and sell in to, to patients to say, look, this is what it can do for you, but also to doctors to say, this is how it works. and, and um, But there's endless potential. There's almost too many opportunities. And I, I think you look at all the companies that are investing in this, from Facebook with Oculus to Google, Microsoft, Apple, very shortly. Um, they're all throwing huge amounts of money at it. They believe it's the, the computer platform of the future. And um, these are companies in the end who decide how we consume content and and you know the, the devices we use and so if they're investing in it as heavily as they are it's hard to see it not um, changing our lives probably in the next 5, 10, 15 years yeah now um, obviously you are CEO of a fantastic immersive tech company at the moment um, be interesting though how you go into this I mean as far we've done our research and you, I think you're the only member of your own family who's not won an Oscar um, so <laughs> Tell us a bit about your journey yeah. and how you've got to where you've got now. Unconventional, I guess. Um, I grew up around the film business. My dad, um, uh, a proud Scot, as I am, uh, grew up in Glasgow, my mum as well. Um, and my dad, you know, was a 
passionate kind of filmmaker as a young man and, and went into the business in Scotland. Um, made films like Charity of Fire and Local Hero. Local Hero was the first film he ever produced with Gore wow. Scythe, um, which I think is still probably one of his better ones, actually. Great yeah. soundtrack as well. Yeah, brilliant. Mark yeah. Knopfler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Newcastle United still run out to that, uh, that theme tune every week. Um, so I was around the film business uh, as a young kid, really. I mean, it, very privileged and didn't really realise it, you know, barbecues with Robert De Niro kind of in pictures that I now think I really could have done with knowing that was uh, that was Robert De Niro at the time and um, my dad made a film called The Mission with him when I was about six years old in Colombia. Um, so I got to go to some amazing places. Um, there was another film called City of Joy in India with Patrick Swayze. So we were there for a month in Calcutta. Wow. Kind of experiencing just an incredible... Um, eye-opening kind of experience for a young kid um so when i came to the end towards the end of my education trying to work out what i was going to do film was a very glamorous kind of interesting um opportunity for me so i went i I started to work in the film business at the age of 18 uh, even before i went through university um entrapment was the first film i was the one with um uh, Catherine Zeta Jones doing the yeah. thing with the laser beams. I thought you'd remember. Yeah, that. yeah. I remember that. Yeah, Sean Connery, uh, Sean Connery, and Catherine Zeta Jones, which was, you know, I was 18 years old. I was the runner, so I made tea for everybody. Really, that was that was. If you're stripping it all back, that's what I did. And uh, uh, you know, being around Connery, he was just about to turn 70, um, but was still kind of as magnificent as you would hope he was. Um, was was hilarious and great fun and. Uh, a big whiskey drinker as well himself. Um, so he... Do you remember I, what his tipple was? I do remember. I remember... I saw lots of things with Sean Cry. I saw him watching football in his pants in his dressing room at Pyman Studios. I uh, I saw all sorts of uh, interesting things uh, over my time. But I also saw or heard him tell me that where he kept his whiskey, which was McCallum, which was his tipple, and he kept it in the bathroom cabinet because he thought that was where his wife would not uh, take it off him and throw it in. <laughs> so he would hide his Macallan in, uh, in the bathroom cabinet. I assume maybe they had separate bathroom cabinets or even separate bathrooms, who knows. Um, and Micheline, his wife, his French wife, who's about four foot, four foot seven, four foot eight, tiny lady, um, was uh, was not keen on him drinking whiskey, but that was his way around it. So. And obviously, those aficionados of either James Bond or whiskey will know that Macallan is the official whiskey of James Bond. I did not. Um, not in the films, because I don't think they can afford to pay for all the rights, and yeah. that's why James Bond drinks Heineken and Belvedere and so on. But in the books, Macallan right? was the whiskey that was always written about in the original books. And in all the movies, if you look very carefully in the various yeah. backdrops... Yeah you'll see McCallum. So it's not product placement, but it's real McCallum. What so, was the bottle that was shot off the top of... So that was a McCallum... Was it? The McCallum 40 was shot off the girl's head in... With Javi Bardem. Yeah, in, that was, was that one Skyfall? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. But there's other ones where you see bottles of McCallum sort of on a desk, and it's always McCallum, but right. hidden in the background. Right. So it's authentic, but not advertised. So right. there you go. So there's my McCallum. Yeah, he, he, he was fascinating to be around generally, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know... Being at home, he'd left a message on the answering machine when I when I was from my dad, and so I got the job because my dad was the producer of the film. Obviously, that's kind of nepotism is a big thing in the film industry, and uh, yeah. 
you will see that if you ever sit and read the credits at the end of the film. But um, <laughs> yeah, there was one day answering machine when answering machines were still a thing that you, cl- you click the button and say, Ian, Sean here, I'm just calling to touch base and uh, talk about the script. Please give me a call back. That became something that I invited all my school friends to listen to. <laughs> and uh, yeah, working on the film was great fun. Uh, he loved golf. He would drive himself in his green Vauxhall rental from Eaton Square in Belgravia to Pima Studios on his own, quite happy to be independent. And then at any given opportunity, would ask if he could go and play golf at uh, a Stoke Pose or Stoke Park, which is about two miles away. And uh, he would nip off and, and play golf uh, on his own. Quite happy. He was an amazing guy. Actually, very. Grounded and down to earth. Yeah, very good. So the movie business, um, I, I worked in that until I was about twenty twenty four. Um, Where were you based? Sorry, at that point, were you still in Scotland or back and forth? Yeah, I was. I was going to. So I was at university in Glasgow. My town of my birth. I never really got to know. I moved away when I was three, so I felt like I needed to go back and yeah. uh, get a, a sense of where I was from a bit. And um, uh, so I was there, and I was here in Los Angeles at UCLA for a year as part of that. Um, so I worked at his, his production company here while I was at UCLA, Fountain Bridge Films, which is on the Sony lot, um, which, which was great fun as well. Um, but yeah, after I after kind of got to the age of 24, I realized that I didn't love films as much as my dad. And it bothered me that I was getting jobs because of him as well. Um, so I came away from it completely and I retrained as a journalist and went back to college, did a course, uh, met my future wife on that course and got a job in a local newspaper. And then... Which, which newspaper? It was the Buckinghamshire Advertiser, oh, Chalfont St. Peter. Different from the Bucks Free Press? Yes, it is, yeah. I went for a job there and I didn't get it. Okay, sorry yeah. to bring that up. No, no, <laughs> and then I got a job on the Mainhead Advertiser, so a total of about a year and a half. And then uh, I got a week's work experience at the Times. And I called in sick to the maiden advertiser. They know I did now. They're okay. And um, I, I did the week and I, I said to myself, I'm not leaving this place until I end up with a job. So in the end, I was there for five years. Um, for our American listeners, the Times is it's one of the national newspapers in, in England, in Britain. I know there's not a lot many national newspapers in America, but this is a proper national newspaper, and it was was certainly regarded as one of the better ones. Highbrow. Yeah, it's a paper. It's kind of a paper of record in in the UK, and um, yeah, it was kind of. I guess somebody asked me what I wanted to, who I wanted to work for in the newspapers. I would have always said the Times. So yeah, it was great, brilliant, great fun. I covered all sports, rugby. Chris did a bit of rugby. Uh, never covered a match yet. you played yeah, it never banged an interview let check my blacklist of journalists and check that you're not on it no no you're, no, you're clean good, you're clean good to hear um, yeah I covered a lot of football mainly uh, did golf Ryder Cup what did you enjoy covering the most you know I, I think the coverage football gets is so kind of all consuming that you know for me it was always I'd set myself a little target my first byline my first page lead and then my first back page and you know so football I guess gave me the opportunity to do all those things and, and I love the Ryder Cup though I, I, I was at Celtic Manor for the uh, the 2010 Ryder Cup it would have been I think uh, when it absolutely poured it down for about three days and it went to an extra day it went to the Monday well, that was one where the players all had to go to the club shop and get Correct. waterproofs only the, American, only the American team oh, is that right? yeah the Americans waterproofs weren't waterproof was that in the Celtic Manor? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. You would have played there, Chris, wouldn't you? 
I've had to turn down a couple of games there, sadly. We stayed there uh, before the Welsh Rugby International. Lovely mm-hmm. hotel. Yeah, it's nice. Lovely. Yeah. yeah, I'd recommend it. So that, that was a great thing for me. And then the BBC um, offered me a job to, to go and uh, write for that website, which was brilliant. And then that led into television and radio and um, broadcasting, which wasn't something that I... Well, something I hoped to do but didn't envisage it happening as, as quickly as it did. So it was, yeah, wonderful. Did you ever have any of those showdowns with players or managers? Yeah, or yeah. Do you know the answer to this question, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I may have seen something. Yeah. I'll let you tell the story. Jose Mourinho, yeah. It was just towards the end of my uh, my time at, uh, at the BBC and they'd sent me down to do a press conference uh, at Chelsea's training ground in Cobham in Surrey. And Jose was under pressure. It was his second time at Chelsea, for those of you who know. And uh, he was uh, kind of losing the, the trust of the players and all sorts of things were coming out in the press. And it had been said that he struggled in his third year of, of jobs, you know, that he, yes, he was successful wherever he'd gone, but um, he couldn't sustain it and build a, a kind of builder club. So I asked him the question, Jose, and a lot of people say that, your third season at clubs is, is, is a weakness. How do you respond to that? And that, you know, fairly fair to say, touched the nerve with uh, Mr. Mourinho. And we did have a, a fairly forthright stage of views over about three and a half minutes. That we, that we made for great television, ultimately. <laughs> that was what it was about. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, he, he lost his job um, about four weeks later. Yeah. You so, held your ground well. Oh so the clip is available on the BBC website still. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, put, yeah we'll put a link on there uh, when we launch this, this edition so you yeah. can see Ben Smith in action in his old life. You know what, the trickiest things in, in, when you're interviewing managers, Sir Alex Ferguson was, was brilliant at this. He would come in, the only manager walk into a press conference room and just start talking. No one would ask him a question. He would. He knew what he wanted to say. You know, Johnny Evans picked up a knot this morning in training, or whatever it was. He would just set the agenda, and there was complete silence in that room when he was speaking. And total respect. Quite amazing, actually. Almost a fear. Remember when I asked my first question? It was you could just, you know, when your heart's going. And, uh, quite amazing. Um, with with Mourinho, the trick with these things is if you get something like that, the easiest thing is to kind of cow a bit and, and feel like you can't go again. But the trick is to keep it going as long as you can because if you do let that one answer shut you down, then then it's game over really and, and you've lost any impact your, your question had. But if you can try and continue and fight your corner of it, then often you'll get privileged. Yeah, and if you're lucky, they'll get fired within a month. Okay, that's really helpful <laughs> to all those young journalists out there. Thanks, Ben, for that golden tip. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so, it's absolutely wonderful. Thank good, you. No, that's yeah. what we're here for. So then, and then the change of career again. This yeah. is I find it fascinating to go from film to yeah. journalism to... Yeah. VR. Yeah. So it's the rugby player who now runs a whiskey school and a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Podcast. That's why I'm interested. I, you know that. How did you feel making those transitions? Yeah. Did you feel the the element of risk, or were you so sure that you wanted to do it that there was never any doubt? There's always risk, isn't there? You know, you go from something as stable as, as the BBC, where you think the, the two things you apparently have to do to get fired at the BBC are not pay your license fee or, or punch the director general in the face. So. Uh, otherwise, you are pretty much set, I think. Um, but to leave something as safe as that what uh, was difficult. But I felt that the opportunity was a really exciting one, that it probably wouldn't come around again. 
that I had always been interested in the business side of, of things. And um, yes, you know, when you go from being um, in sport or in journalism or whatever it is, there's a kind of element of can I translate my skills in this into the business field? You know, what will it, will I fall short? Will it be okay? But I guess I kind of had a confidence in myself to be able to do it. I don't know why, but maybe an overconfidence. <laughs> Um, but I, I thought I could do it, and um, I just thought that it was something I, I wanted to learn how to do, I guess. And, you know, a lot of it is people in the end of it, isn't it? If you can get on with people, if you can build relationships and get people to believe in you and trust you, then ultimately um, you can run a business. And journalism and the media is not that different from that. It's A lot of it's about relationships, and so... Um, I didn't know that at the time, but it's been helpful to me um, okay. to kind of have those parallels. And yeah, the, the film business, sports media and VR does sound pretty diverse and different, but if you kind of consider it as different facets of storytelling from one, that's my way of tying it together. You know, the film business is storytelling of a fairly traditional kind. The media is a different mm-hmm. type of storytelling. And then immersive technology is about telling stories in in a completely new and different way, then that kind of begins to make sense anyway. That's my excuse. Great. So talking of telling a story, we're going to give you a chance to tell one more story with your last question, which is, as our regular thousands of listeners will know, is the question we always ask at the end of of United States of America, which is, if you can have a whiskey with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be, where would it be, and which whiskey would it be? Wow. Ben Storyteller Smith. Wow. That is your question. That's quite a, a, a wide brief, isn't it? Anyone in history? Uh, I think John F. Kennedy. I'd like. Uh, I, I just think he's one of the most fascinating hi- historical characters. I think, and somebody that obviously uh, was taken away too soon. A flawed character in many ways, um, but somebody who was very much for um, for hope and um, for, for doing the right thing. I think. Um, I loved his charisma and, you know, I just think it would be fascinating to sit down and talk to him for, for an hour. Where? Oof. Probably somewhere in Scotland. Maybe maybe a very, very good golf course somewhere. Um, what about the uh, the clubhouse at the old course St Andrews overlooking the 18th green there? Kind of takes me back around to Chariots of Fire where they uh, they ran across the green. So that, that seems to bring it back round quite nicely. Yeah, I'll go with that. Very good. And the last part of the question was which whiskey? Oh, yes. I'll go with Highland Park, my dad's favourite tipple. Um, he's a big whiskey connoisseur, um, and as you say, an Oscar-winning film producer, maybe someone you should get on this podcast at some point. I, I bet I can make that happen. Well, if you, can, if you can find a way of getting to him, then uh, there's a bottle of Highland Park waiting for Ian Smith if he ever yeah, yeah, yeah. appears on our podcast. But until then, thank you very much to, to Ben. Great pleasure. Thank, thank you. you very Thanks, much, Ben. I love scotch. 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 Yep. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar.